Go ahead and turn your Bibles. You're going to be in two spaces. Um, You're going to quickly go to Exodus. If you're a visitor here, um, as you see on that slide, there's 12 months, 12 months in Exodus. But I'm going to start you off before we pray in 2 Corinthians. So if you would go to 2 Corinthians and put your tassel there, we're going to begin and end in that text, okay? And so if you were here last week, you heard um, the word, and I loved um, the thought of how it was worded in both sides of go. And so Moses, in which we're going to talk a lot about today, is called out. He finally leaves. He, he stops arguing, and he experiences what seems to be wins and also what seems to be losses. So let's read 2 Corinthians 4 and then... I'm going to pray for our time together. Um, If you're not ready to work today, get your mind right, okay? Get your highlighters open. There's a lot of colors to put on the page, so there you go. Front row, amen, amen, there you go. Front row. Look at 4-1, such an awesome word. Highlight it for me. Therefore, since we have this ministry... Therefore, since we have this ministry, since we have been called to the Great Commission, since God has has given us the charge to tell people about him as we have received mercy. So it's this connection between ministry and mercy. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Let's pray for our time together This morning, God, we thank you for today. You've been good to us. Um, You've been graceful to us. You have shown us mercy. Lord, I pray personally, um, you calm my spirit, calm my, my nerves and my mind. Speak through me. God, my words, Lord, let me keep it together for the sake of these people that you have given me the opportunity to pour in your goodness to and just my ability to see your goodness while I do it. Continue to be with our families, be with the people in Russia and Ukraine and all across the world that are hurting this morning. In your precious name, the church says, amen. So if you need a refresher, and this is week one for you, we're about two months into Exodus. At the very beginning of Exodus, things start to move very fast, and and Moses is saved. The young child, if you remember, uh, Moses is born with a bounty on his head. The Pharaoh during that time said, if a male is born, kill him. So at the very beginning, we see that Moses is saved. And in that, Moses wants to do good. Moses' hearts break for the people. He wants to see them saved. He wants to see them out of slavery. So he takes matters in his own hands and he sins. He doesn't seek the path or will of God. He seeks with good intentions to do good. And he sins, he murders, and he runs and he hides. Fast forward about another 40 years. Moses is in that Abraham category of life. He's in his 80s. 
He's comfortable, he's doing well, he lives in a home with a pastor and married a pastor's daughter, and God calls him out of that, like Abraham. God comes into his comfort and he calls him into hardship and Moses argues. God calls and and Moses argues and God calls and Moses argues and God calls and Moses argues and we saw last week Moses goes. Some of you and I could relate to this. God has placed certain things on your heart. God has pulled you in directions. The Holy Spirit works in you and pulls you to something that you should do. And you have argued and you have argued and you have argued and you have finally laid down at the altar. I will go and you go. And in Moses' going, he experiences both sides of it. So he goes with the word of God, what God has told him to say, and he sees what would be explained as a spiritual high. He sees knees bowed and and people worship. People see God. People see that Aaron and, and Moses have experienced God. They're amazed by the word. They're uplifted by salvation and what God is gonna do in their slavery. And he sees it work. And he goes to the Pharaoh with, a similar word, and what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh laughs. Pharaoh slams the door in his face. Both sides of go. But what we see this morning is, is that third door that we often don't um, expect because even though the Pharaoh's laughter was probably not welcomed or encouraging, remember, God told him it would happen. So God said, Moses, they're going to listen to you, Right? They're going to worship. They're going to bow. And he goes, hey, what about the Pharaoh? He's going to laugh at you, right? But God did not tell Moses that when he went to the people, the laughter of the Pharaoh, him going and him being obedient and faithful would actually make things worse. So last week in the mysteries of God, if you were here, this week we see the same type of idea. It's not a mystery, but in the moment it looks it. In the moment, it, we're once again, we're in the space of, God, what are you up to? God, why am I here? Why am I failing? Why is this not working? Why does it seem to get worse? I love this word, guys. I have marinated in it all week. I have read and cried and prayed over this 20-something times. So I need you to hear it. I need you to see it. Get your highlighters out. So far for, we're all different, so far for your pastor, this has been the most relatable word. To me so far, so um, be in it in five starting with 15. It says, And the officers of the children of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing with, Thus with your servants. There's no straw. Now, these are the slaves speaking, right? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is on your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given to you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. So remember last week, kind of refresh your mind, 
Moses goes to Pharaoh, and not only does Pharaoh laugh, it actually provokes his anger. It provokes his wickedness. It frustrates him, and he actually makes things worse for the slaves. Moses goes in faithfulness and good intentions and obedience. He finally stops arguing. He does what God calls him to, and it seems like he has actually made things worse. 19. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out of the Pharaoh, they met Moses. So the slaves, right, they, they got the word. Things have become worse for them. And they, they meet Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge you. Because you have made us aberrant in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Will you highlight 22 on, please? So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why, why have you brought trouble on these people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So, so far in Moses' life, it has been Moses not doing what God has called him to do, and you and I as a church talking about what disobedience brings into the life of a believer. And we saw this last week when it said that God was angry, that his anger was kindled, right? And so we spoke about how the disobedience and foolishness, and feet dragging of believers, it will kindle the anger of God, right? And so you and I have talked about when believers are called to go and we don't, it brings hardship into our lives. But this week, it doesn't seem like obedience brings anything better. There's literally even a moment where Moses, in my mind, would think like, hey, I think disobedience looked better. Like, you wanted to kill me last week. You remember that? I didn't even want to go. You wanted to kill me last week, and now they want to kill me this week. I would rather be back at home and you and I just not see eye to eye. So obedience and disobedience seems not to work for Moses. Have you ever felt that? I was thinking about everything going on in the Ukraine. and My heart was breaking for those people and I felt like I was just watching something like that was a documentary back in time, like tanks going down the streets and it was wild, right? And I heard this story just, just this week with everything going on about this pastor, 28 years old, married for three years, has two little kids. This pastor left the good old USA and all of his comfort and his McDonald and PlayStation and nice cars and sweet churches to go to the Ukraine to plant a church. 28 years old, two kids, married for three years. Life is hard enough. Amen. You ever tried to move here? It's not fun. You ever tried to move in the Ukraine? Probably harder, right? A year ago. 
not even, 11 months. He, his wife, and two children, they pack up faithfully. They don't know anyone. They don't know anyone. And they go to the Ukraine to plant a church, to preach his goodness, to see salvation. How do you think they woke up this morning? Where do you think their minds are? Where do you think their hearts are? Hey, God, why, why would you do this to me? Like the people in America are too lazy to wake up and come down the street. Like, get them. Like, I moved my family to the Ukraine. People in the Ukraine had a hard enough time, let alone Americans coming there. Why is this happening to me? I've been obedient. I've been faithful, and now I'm confused. Can you imagine? You know, when, when people are disobedient, this stuff is not complicated. I can tell you why certain things are happening, but have you ever been faithful and obedient and wanted to do good? You were following God's call and war came to you? We've all heard the story of the, the missionary being overseas and ends up becoming like a hostage. And you're thinking, why would that happen to them? Can you imagine leaving your home at 18 to 20 to 25 and going to the jungles of Africa and then you're held hostage? Why would such a thing happen to the faithful and obedient? You know, Hunter, I've never, never gone to Africa. I've never been held hostage. I'm not in the Ukraine. Have you ever taken a stance for what you believe in and it actually made things worse for you? You ever stood up at work and said, this is not what I believe or this is what I believe? And instead of things getting better, instead of them throwing a parade for you and going, hey, look at this guy. He's convicted all of us. Get the water going. You actually lose a job or you don't get promoted? He's that God guy that's always speaking about the right thing to do. What about the, the wayward child to the faithful parent? You're not perfect, but man, you tried. And you had that little booger in church every Sunday and you prayed with them every night and you read to them the word and you made sure you went through their phone and you screened all the friends that they hung out with. You tried your best. And now at 18, 20 years old, they live like they hate the Lord. Like, how did I make things worse? The young woman who says, you know what? I'm not going to have sex before marriage. I'm gonna wait for a godly man who honors me and wants the same things in the Lord. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna stay pure. And you're dateless? You're lonely? And you sit in this space and going, hey, how has my faith made things worse? You know, one thing I talk about a lot at this church, because it helps how my mind thinks, I think about the formula and so when you put things, if you've been a part of the church, you've heard me talk a lot about it. 
when you put things ahead of God, it is not good news for you. It is not good for your money. It is not good for your kids. It's not good for your marriage. It's not good for your faith. In every aspect, it's very simple. It's black and white. Life is not as complicated as we make it. Someone comes to me. They're crying. Their marriage is falling apart. We hate each other. Intimacy is dead. We don't talk anymore. Hunter, we need help. After a few questions, we get to the root of things. Is God first in your marriage? No, he's not. Well, it's not complicated. We don't have to meet for three months. You're not supposed to work at this if God is not first. This is the equation of spirituality. But have you ever put in the right numbers and it didn't actually compute? And go, man, I I give my tithe. I'm in church. I read the Bible with my kids. I do my best. Why is this not working? You ever been there? Like, where's the godly husband? Right? Why am I still poor? Why am I sick? So Moses comes to this place and goes, man, it seems like you were mad at me when I wasn't doing what you wanted me to do. And it doesn't look like you're much healthier, health, help, uh, happier when I am doing what you want me to do. You ever been in the Ukraine in that? But unlike, hear me out. Unlike Exodus 5, I feel like this is not a mystery what God is up to. And I feel like it is very clear what God is doing. And I still feel like it is for our good. Keep the highlighters up and look at 22 through 6-1. This is a life lesson that the sooner you understand this, the better it is for you, okay? This is not man's formula. This is God's formula. Look at 22. We just read it. Read it again. So Moses returned to the Lord with all of his frustration and all of his weariness and all of his questions. And he said, Lord, why? Highlight that one. Many colors as you got. Lord, why? Why have you brought trouble on these people? That's not his only question. Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done nothing but evil to his people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So I want you to see not man's formula about how to get your money right or your marriage. This is God's formula in sanctification. Lord, why? Why am I sick? Why am I lonely? Why am I dateless? Why am I poor? Why am I troubled? Why have you sent me here? Why has my obedience made things worse? And what does God say in 6.1? Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. As if worldly failure is the beginning of godly success. 
God, why? Why have you brought trouble on these people? Why have you sent me here? Since I have come, nothing has gone right, and you haven't done what you said you were going to do. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to the Pharaoh. As I said, it's sooner that you and I understand this, and some people die not understanding it. The sooner you and I understand what God is doing, the better for your life and soul. After salvation, after salvation, for those who are believers here, that you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, that you have hit bottom, you know that you are in need of a savior and there's nothing you can do or any way you can earn God's grace, but God has poured his grace through the blood of his son. You have been born again. And since that moment, to the end of time, life is one long journey in your, in your ability to face impossibility. I often hear people say that like life, just this week someone said this, that life is this long uphill battle. Life is not a one big long uphill battle. It's a, it's a long roll down. In salvation, we see that we are not able to do anything outside of God's grace. And after that moment is you and I becoming very small in how great and huge God is in our life. Growth, more like his son, James would tell us, is grown in man's inability to do anything on his own. Growth, maturity, sanctification, wisdom is our acknowledgement of our weakness. And it is our desperate need of a savior. Moses, I want you to see this. From chapters one to six. Moses is a work in progress and so are you. Moses is born and hear me guys, Moses is gifted. He is gifted. He is Hebrew and he is Egyptian. He is educated. He is well-spoken. He is wise. He is bold. He is the right man for the right place, right? But he's not seeking God. And so he has good intentions and he says, you know what? My heart breaks for these people. Please hang with me. My heart breaks for these people and I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. He's gifted, but he doesn't seek the Lord. So what does he do? He messes up, he fails and he runs. Well, later in life, I believe that Moses does seek God. He's living under a pastor with the pastor's daughter. I think he's living a good life. He's taking care of his kids. He's working hard. He seeks to do good for the Lord, but he's not, you know what? He's not obedient. So God comes to his life and he calls him to go somewhere different. And Moses isn't faithful in that. Fast forward, Moses now is obedient. He is gifted. He is now seeking. He is now obedient, but he's not dependent. So like a cup of coffee that was hot that you got to put back in the microwave, Moses is a work in progress. And right, right as God starts to transform and put Moses together for his good and God's glory, Moses has to be put right back in to heat up. God was going to do such an amazing, awesome work in the life and the ministry of Moses, but Moses had to face impossibility first. This is what I need you to hear, though. For all my people that are struggling and you're asking questions and you are confused and you are weary and you are tired, 
impossibility. Life at the end of the hill, once you get done rolling, triggers why God moments in your life. When you face desperation, when you face confusion, when you face failure in faith, it triggers why God moments. Just listen to a few of the guys that we would say, man, are faithful people. Just listen. This is Job to where out of God's mouth would say, hey, he's one of the most faithful ones I have. Like, have you considered Job? When times got hard for Job, this is what Job said. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out of the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Like, what have I done, God, to you for you to do these things to me? He's not done. Fast forward a few chapters, chapter 13. God, why do you hide your face? Why do you consider me an enemy? That's the most faithful one that he has. Look at Psalms 10 for my Wednesday night, folks. King David, why, Lord, do you stand so far away from me? Why do you hide your face in troubles? We just talked about Jeremiah and Jeremiah being faithful and him speaking the word, him being an alien. He's that missionary in Ukraine. He gets put in jail. Everyone is against him. Let's look at my brother's faith, faith while he's in jail. Lord, you deceived me. Lord, you deceived me. You overpowered me and prevailed and I am ridiculed all the day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, whenever I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction and sin, so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all the day long. You awake? Like, do you hear this? Like, how has my faith made things worse for me? But I say... I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. He says, if I don't do any more of these things, a fire will be shut up in my bones and I will be weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot do so. Desperation and our need of a savior often triggers why God moments. If you look at the character study of Moses and you look at the story of Exodus, God was at work, God was molding, God was preparing, God was involved. He is the potter, we are the clay, but do not miss it. He is blessing Moses. This is where I need you to focus with me. He is blessing. He is not just molding. He is not just preparing. He is not just building up. He is not just training. He is not just correcting. He's blessing he is blessing Moses in his failure. You know that statement, and I make it three out of four Sundays. You know that statement that I just simply say, for, for God's glory and our good. You ever heard me say that? It's very simple. All things to exalt the name of Christ and all things for his glory and, and our good. It's very simple. But man, when you spend time on that, a very complex, deep thought and reality to walk through in life. Do you know why? 
Because the destination of our good is oftentimes not a path any of you would sign up for. Our good, to become more like Christ, is not a destination that many of us would ever want. And let's dig a little deeper into that thought. Not only do we not want it, not only do we not strive for it because it scares the mess out of us, it is oftentimes a destination that most of you feel like you already live in. That's why we're so confused when God wants to take us out of it. Moses is 80 years old living in a pastor's home going, hey man, I'm doing pretty good. Like I've learned from my past mistakes. You've shown me I'm a shepherd out in Ukraine doing who knows what, loving my wife, loving my kids, underneath a pastor teaching me I'm trying my best. He would say that I am living in my good. Well, he would view what God desires in his life as something as failure, something that is not good, something that is not worth it, something that is not needed. So we say, why God? Why God? Things were going so well and it does not seem like my going of my faith and my obedience is working. I am trying to be a godly mother. I'm trying to be a godly father. I am giving money. I am serving. I am praying. I am being faithful. I'm sharing the word of God for the first time in my life. Why does it not seem like I am being blessed? Like how could failure be good? How could sickness be good? How could loneliness be helpful? Now you shall see what I can do. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to the Pharaoh. If you're a note taker, out of impossibility and desperation sprouts peace and joy. Dependence produces real life. Look at Exodus 1 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a long hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham. I appeared to Isaac. I appeared to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them. We highlight four through five for, for our King Davids who don't know where God is right now. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan to the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. I have remembered my covenant Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you up out of the burdens of the Egyptians. You highlight, I will rescue you from your bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with the great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. If you are daydreaming on me now, wake up. 
then you shall know. Then you shall know. God, why are you doing these things? Now look what I will do to Pharaoh, and when I do, then you shall know. To some degree or some level or measurement in all of believers' lives, you will face impossibility just so God can show you what's possible. For most of us in this room, your wins and successes are possibly more dangerous than your failures. We look at life as this, man, I got, I got to do this. I got to go up this hill. It's a challenge. I got to find my way up. When actually it is a downhill roll, God brings us down from our comfort, our successes, our strength, our confidence into the joys of desperation. Why? Because impossibility is where God's glory is found in our good. Impossibility, desperation, knees on the altars, face on the ground, tears in the eyes, that is where success is found. Because worldly failure will be the onset of godly success. Look at 6, 8. Then you shall know. Let's finish 7 together. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you up out, of the, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land in which I swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. One thing that I think is good for us to understand, and as I said, the quicker you understand this in life, the better is that what God was teaching Moses was not just for his good, but it was for the power of his message that needed to be heard by other people. Hang with me. What God was doing in Moses' life, and what Moses probably could not see, he couldn't understand it in the moment. So he just, why, God, like, what is happening? Like, why aren't things getting better? What God was doing, he was teaching Moses, but not just for, for Moses' good, but also for the power of Moses' message that other people around him will one day need. I want you to go back to 6 and 7. Hang with me, okay? So Moses is confused. He doesn't understand and God says, therefore, say to the children of Israel. He goes, man, you, you are, your script didn't work the first time, right? You told me what to say. It didn't work. It made things worse. I failed. I'm not good enough for this. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you. I will bring you out of under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God and then you shall know. Moses loved these people. He cared for these people. He wanted good for these people. 
And these people needed Moses' inabilities. These people needed Moses' weakness. These people needed a man who has faced impossibility. They did not need a gifted man. They needed a dependent one. So, I told you um, the reason I'm acting like this. <clears throat> um, I've just, this week has been like a long week, and in, in ministry, pastoring is very different, and there's a very intimate um, dance with God that God is shaping and spurring on, and, and um, it's, it's just different. And so I can see God working and, and like I have just, I have just, um, like I said, marinated in this word. Um, a lot. And so in tears in my eyes, I've seen just what God is doing in my life and just, oh man, like this is who I am. I came in on top of the hill. I am bold with my word. I'm not nervous. I have a visionary mind. Like I am ready to conquer this. And the roll downhill has not been fun, but it's been good and what I needed. And so I've had times this week where I just have cried and I've not been able to sleep and I've just read this to the point of memorization. So yesterday, we got a long day, and we go do some fun things, and I go see um, Philip Gallimore's grandfather died, and my family's in the van, and uh, I go to the funeral home. I, I see Philip and his family, and I come out of the funeral home. Okay, I got to do this. <laughs> Come out of the funeral home, my wife is screaming, um, you know, bloody murder. And uh, Liam has had um, Liam has had a seizure. And he's unconscious and, you know, foaming at the mouth and all those scary things that nobody wants to experience as a parent. So long story short, and I won't, I'll spare you all the details, but I'm in the hospital and they're running all the scary tests you can run. And... And I've already been to like an emotional exhaustion with this text already. Like I was already going to cry on you before this. And I'm sitting in the hospital room. I have this moment where I'm like, man, leave me alone. You ever felt that ever like, I don't need anybody to come to me and go, hey, God's working. I know he's working. Go work on someone else. 
That's how I feel. That is my heart. That is my mind. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I already got the message. You've already shown me. I'm not perfect. I'm prideful. I'm not all that. I'm rolling fast, God, okay? The sermon's already put together. I didn't need this. I'm doing my best. But at times, God will give us a message that is not just for our growth and our good, but the power of the message that people that we care about will need. So I'm sitting with my son and I'm angry and I'm tired and I'm scared and I am resentful. And I already got it. And my son looks at me, barely can talk at this point. And he says, Dad, am I gonna, am I gonna be okay? And then it just like hit me that this might not even be for me. That God might send me into desperation and tiredness, and exhaustion, and even anger, just so I can look at someone else and go, man, you need God. Like, your daddy cannot save you. I can't talk my way out of this. I'm not clever, or kind, or or swifty enough to maneuver my way through this situation. Like, you need Jesus. You and I, my son, Moses, we are a work in progress. And the sooner that we understand that, the better. Like the sooner you roll down that hill, the quicker we stand up. So I'm talking to my son on the way home. God's been good. We don't need any food. We're good. So don't, you're good. You're, I'm, my son's alive and he's at home playing with Legos. And we got a lot of tests to run and a lot of issues, but for the... For your mind to wander, God's been good to us, okay? And so we're driving home, and my, I'm talking to him about Moses. And my, my wife is trying not to cry too loud in the passenger seat so my son can see her. And I'm talking to him about Moses and desperation, and how Moses was weary and confused and asked why and needed help, and God was doing something, and it was actually, it was actually, therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. I'm talking about how actually trials are God's grace, and struggles is his mercy, and he is doing something good and remarkable, and this is what my son says. He goes, man, oh man, isn't God good for showing me at such an early age? Man, I am in the message and I didn't see it. I had already cried and memorized and I've written you this sermon and I'm driving at 11.30 at night on the way home from the ER and my son, man, isn't God good? Like when we get down that hill, church, like when we get done rolling for so many of us, we stand up and go, man, 
It is going to be so challenging to get back up that hill. Guys, stop trying to get up the hill. Leave those peaks to God. He doesn't need you up there. He does not call you up there. Rest at the bottom. Rest at the altar. Good things for come to those who live at the bottom of the hill that you rolled down on. Leave the peaks to the Lord. The sooner you understand that God is big and you are not, and you are in desperate need of a Savior, and anything you want to accomplish, even with good intentions, is futile without the Holy Spirit or God's ordination, the better for you. Some will die not realizing it. You will strive and you will be a mile up a hill that has no ending. And my 12-year-old says, man, isn't God good? Isn't God good? I went, I went from being in the ER, parent, from saying, God, I don't say this very often. You know why? Because self-righteously, I think I get it. I sat in the ER and says, man, pick on someone else. Leave me alone. And I went to bed saying, God, thank you. Like Moses needed to fail. Moses needed to roll down the hill. And the people needed to hear the message of a man who has rolled down that hill. I want you to see 2 Corinthians, please, as we start to close. I should have probably had someone else preach today, but I was really excited to be here with you in this message, and, and I take this seriously to be in tune with what God has shown me and I knew I was going to be a wreck when I started uh, tearing up about the daddy-daughter date night. <laughs> it's probably confusing you. Um, go to 2 Corinthians 4, but I wanted to be here, man. God has given me a word, and I knew that I would be a mess, but I knew that God wanted me to preach it, so I'm glad he gave me somewhat of the ability to do so. We please, um, as we start to close up, I want you to... Look at this, and I want you to see it connected to where Moses is and where we are and the rolling down the hill and standing back up and making little of ourselves. Verse 6, please. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness. Man, that is so wonderful. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. But we have the treasure in earthly vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Our failure, his success, right? We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, 
but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be, may be manifested our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, so then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Highlight 15, please. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So we see this from the beginning of time, that our desperation is what leads to even salvation. That our being born again and, and stepping forward after Christ steps forward in our life is the moment that we realize that we have gone down the hill, that we are in desperate need of a Savior, that there's nothing that we can do. We cannot speak or pay our way out of. It is not about our wisdom or what we know. It is not who our family is or what church we go to or how many verses we've memorized. It is that I am hopeless. I am desperate. I have faced impossibility. I have no ability. And God says, those who I call my faithful servants, step forward. For those who put their faith in their trust in desperation, those are the ones that are saved. As we close, I was thinking about Moses and I was thinking about me and I was thinking about what God has shown me, and I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about the different lives of Moses. Please hang with me before we pray. And I was thinking the, the gifted Moses early in his life, the young, gifted Moses. And then I was thinking about the comforted, peaceful, seeker Moses. And then I was thinking about the obedient Moses, and soon we're going to see the dependent Moses. And I started thinking about my life and everything that God has shown me this week, and I just thought, man, what would God do with the humbly gifted servant? Like the individual where God has poured his spirit and he has gifted you in ways to bless people, you are the man for the job, right? And you are humble. Giftedness without humility is pain. So Moses was a work in progress. 80 something years. The sooner we understand this, the better. Like, are you at the bottom of the hill? If you are, praise God. If you are rolling, have faith. If you are trying to once again climb up, turn around. 
What would God do? What would God accomplish through the gifted and humble servant? For the man, the woman, the mother, the 12-year-old who knows that God has poured into them but knows that they are dependent. We're going to see chapters and chapters and chapters about what God does in Moses once he gets them to this space. Do not spend 80 years getting to the bottom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this space. You have been so patient with me. Lord, I have, I have, I have been prideful and arrogant and self-righteous and aggressive all in the midst of my boldness. I have done things that with good intentions and a desire to make you happy, but was still harmful to me and others. Our calling to go, we're not talking about just pastoring, our call to go, our call to go to be faithful mamas, like faithful husbands, faithful co-workers to take stands and wait for marriage and teach Sunday school and take stances will sometimes lead to failure. And that failure, we have to have faith, is the beginning of success. We will roll downhill so we can stand up. Lord, faith is tiring. It is tiring, and that is by design. If we are not tired, we are not being faithful. So, Lord, refuel us. Pick us up. Let us know you're there, and not that you're just there, but you're there for our good. And even though we are sick, and even though we are lonely, and even though we are poor, and even though we are challenged, and even though we are confused, and even though we have failed, give us peace and hope that it is still for your glory and still for our good. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen.